I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 153. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here from I Love Mortgage Brokering. Today on the show, I have Holden Thomas of Summit Funding, based out of Dallas, Texas, been in the mortgage business for 11 years. Holden shares an amazing story how, how in 10 years, he built a $700 million mortgage company and sold it. Um, he's also currently working with Summit Funding to expand into Texas, and he's started originating again. It's a fantastic interview I have with him. He talks about how he's helping realtors scale their businesses and how it's helping him build his business. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. This show is sponsored by ClientCaller.com. I can tell you after 150 plus interviews, one of the most effective ways to increase your business is to consistently call your past clients. The key word there is consistency. I can tell you that most brokers struggle with this. I know I did because they get too busy working in their business. Client Caller is an amazing service where a professional calling assistant calls your past clients for you. The cool thing is they use your phone number on the caller ID and your voice in the voicemail. The callers look like they're sitting in your office. However, the callers are all located in Canada and they love talking on the phone. The feedback so far has been amazing. You can check them out, the testimonials at clientcaller.com. And if you're interested in getting set up on this service, visit clientcaller.com slash Scott for a special offer just for ILMB listeners. Check it out at clientcaller.com. This episode is also sponsored by Pioneer West Acceptance Corp. Pioneer West is a private lender in BC and Alberta. Now, normally when I have a sponsor for the show, it's because I personally use their product or service. I can give it a 100% recommendation. In this case, it's a little different. I don't personally do private deals. So I decided to do some background checking on the crew at Pioneer West. And I found everyone said they were fast, down to earth, and underwrote deals if they made sense, which is exactly what you're looking for in a private lender. Another cool thing is Pioneer West is really fast. They can usually give you an answer in two hours or less, which is crazy. If you're a broker looking for a private lender in BC or Alberta, check them out at pioneerwest.com and tell them you heard about it at I Love Mortgage Brokering. Holden, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your business? I have actually been in the mortgage business for 11 years. I started in 2006 as a broker. So I started my own brokerage and with no experience in the mortgage business and basically built it up slowly. That was about 2006. 2010, I actually converted from a broker to a banker when the mortgage meltdown kind of happened and looked like the broker was really going away. I actually went through the process of transitioning into becoming a mortgage banker built it up and then decided by about that time, we were about 80, 90 million in annual volume. Uh, that was 2012. Tried to really grow it. Uh, went from uh, about 80, 90 million in 2012 to 200 million in 2013 to 400 million in 2015. And then in 2016, we approached, we got to around run rate of around seven, 700 million. So it was a, it was a crazy, crazy deal. And then actually ended up selling that company and have went back and started a vision for with the mentor I've had for the last three years in Texas. And I'm now basically in the process of trying to build up a division here and, and kind of do it all again. These are not normal numbers you're throwing around. You're like, so, so, okay, you built a company up to 700 million and were you the branch manager? What was your role at that company? I was the owner. The owner. Okay. Yeah. So I started, it was just me and then I built it up from that in 2006 uh, for 10 years until 2016 and then, um, and then sold it in 2016. And just out of curiosity for my Canadian listeners, this is $700 million 
origination shot? Is that a profitable business? I'm, I know it's a dumb question, but it can be very profitable. You know, I would say on average, I mean, if you look at the, the Mortgage Bankers Association, you know, I would say on average, most mortgage bankers are going to be netting, you know, 40 to 50 basis points on the bottom line. That can vary depending on how well you uh, and how efficiently you run your organization. You know, people can make as much as 100 basis points on the bottom line and upwards from there. And some people make no money at all. But it can be great money. But now to sell it and then to start over, was that part of your plan or was that an accident or like how did that happen? Yeah, it was an interesting journey of where I realized growing a mortgage company, you run into some some infrastructure issues. So I'd started off as a just an originator and I realized I had to go from originator to business owner. And in owning and scaling a business, there's just a lot to learn uh, beyond just doing loans. I mean, you got you know, creating an accounting department, marketing, compliance, capital markets, and to grow a company and scale it that quickly comes um, with also cash constraints, being able to understand cash flow analysis, and then really getting your GSA approval. So for us, you know, Fannie, Freddie, Ginny Direct, to really recruit the top level originators, that's permission to play for them. They, you've got to have those things. And the process for getting approved with them is an arduous process. It's a time-consuming process. You've got to have a lot of capital. Process and procedures have to be really, really dialed in. Uh, so a lot of times it's a year. It can be a year to two-year process uh, to get approved with each one of the GSEs. And uh, the more I started seeing the uphill climb that was involved, uh, you know, the more I started to see also that my the capital of the company is constantly at risk because in order to keep growing your warehouse lines, you have to keep growing your retained earnings which means you have more and more capital at play. And I like the idea of being able to utilize other people's capital. There was def it was definitely a, a huge learning experience, and it was really a lot of fun. And, um, and it, it also came with a lot of challenges. And so were you the only partner in that business, or did you have partners? So I was the only owner in the business up until 2013, and I brought on a minority partner, an old college friend of mine who is actually in commercial real estate business and had grown a commercial real estate firm and scaled it really quickly, but just had a great mind and brought a lot of interesting qualities to the table that there were a great mix with me. And so, you know, scaled it together. Right. Okay. And just so I can get the math correct. So 700 million, if you're netting 40 to 50 basis points, it's between 2.8 and 3.5 million. Does that sound about right? Yes, it does. Right. And so you sell that business. So then what makes you obviously, it's kind of like you're taking cash off the table, because now you don't have to leave your cash in the company in order to kind of go out and originate again. So now what are you doing today? And do you have any non competes? Like, are you in different? Did you have to change communities? If I sold you the business, I'd be like, dude, I don't want you opening up a shop across the street from me because I would be a little bit like you obviously know how to do this. So how did that work? Yeah, so there, there's no non-compete, and uh, so, which great, you know, which is really nice. And um, there were some terms that just in the way that the negotiations went down that allowed that. And, you know, the mortgage business is so big. And why, I mean, there's just so much to be had that, uh, you know, if I think we we're talking more of a niche market that non-compete would come more into play. And also in Texas, non-competes just don't stand up very well in court. And so there was, there's a lot of nuances to it, but uh, thankfully there, there was no non-compete in play. Okay. So there's no non-compete. So then you, you set up a new company. And so now what is your role at the new company? Are you doing a similar thing? Yeah. So actually I did not set up a new company. What I did is I had a mentor, a guy who for the last two or three years, a guy named Todd Screema, who owns a company out of California. Uh, Todd had, you know, Todd built Summit from scratch. You know, he started it and he's built it up and it clo they closed over $4 billion last year. 
a top 25 retail lender in the country nationwide. And when I was talking with Todd about um, after I sold, um, I'd stayed on for a while and I really told him about my, you know, dream to really, you know, to build. I think once I realized I was now part of a bigger organization, I had lost the ability to really innovate and create. You know, I realized that part of who I am is I need to be building something. And so Todd approached me with an opportunity of saying, hey, look, we'd love you, you know, to come on and build a Texas division for us. We really don't have a presence in Texas. And so he said, you know, I'll back you with the uh, capital and infrastructure you need and um, would give you the autonomy to go build it in, in the way that you like. And, uh, you know, and it, it was a really cool opportunity to be able to work with my mentor. And this time I don't have to build it from scratch. There's a lot of back end infrastructure that's already been built. Plug, they've already built the systems and you're just e exactly deploying them. Okay, that's good. Yes, yes. And Todd, is uh, part, is he partners with Rick Ruby? Is he somehow connected? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So Rick Ruby is a part owner in the Summit Summit as well. Okay, that's what I that's what I thought. So okay, I kind of got on a sidetrack there. But when somebody tells me they build a seven hundred million dollar origination uh, office, I'm like, I got to ask some more stuff. So before we dive into the rest of your story, so tell me about a quote that's really had an impact on you because I love quotes. They're memorable. They're portable. Can you share a quote? I can. I can. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit of a longer quote. You know, but it's and you know, it's the Teddy Roosevelt critic quote, and I'm sure many. You know, you've heard it, but it, it says, you know, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again. But there is not effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deed? But who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew not victory nor defeat. Yeah, I love that quote, man. That is so good. And so how do you apply that to, you know, I guess any outside criticism that you get or like, how do you apply that to your business? I think that there is a lot of times fear that people have when they are uh, moving into something that they are not a master at, that they don't have experience. And I think that holds a lot of people back. And so I really try not to make decisions based on whether or not I can do something perfectly or that someone may point out that I'm not doing it perfectly. So I'm constantly trying to push myself into new areas that I haven't mastered. And I believe that life is an iterative process. And it takes a lot of mistakes to master something. So what's something that you've recently pushed yourself into that you're like, hey, this is new for me. I know for me, it's been I've started doing video and I prefer to just talk audio. But so what's something that you've been pushing yourself into that that you're just like, hey, I'm going to do it anyway, even whatever people think. So recently I have started developing, I would say, a system for real estate agents to help them to scale and grow their business. And so I stepped out. I you know spent some time interviewing real estate agents, finding out their pain points, finding out where their challenges are and seeing that, you know, uh, real estate agents have a lot of similarities. And, you know, my experience had been in helping loan officers scale their business. And so I put together a system for that in realtors and I've gone out and I'm now training agents in how to implement these systems to really grow and scale their volume. But that is still an iterative process. I mean, um, it, it's very helpful, but I'm constantly having to tweak it and improve it and by stepping out and doing something I haven't done before, 
there's always the opportunity for people to point out how you're not doing it perfectly or mm-hmm. potentially even fail. And so, you know what? I feel like I've got a great idea. And you know what? And I stepped out and it, it's been going very well. And there's been a great response to it. But it still is a vulnerable thing to put your work out into the marketplace uh, when you're not guaranteed that people are going to like it or respond to it. Right. And so with that, just out of curiosity, this realtor scaling system, is this something that you use to help build Summit like to as a like a tool for your agents or for your LOs to be able to connect with agents? Or is it just a totally different kind of business that you're doing as a something, a side thing that you enjoy? When we grew Oak, it was the value proposition and how we got loan officers to join us was we identified pain points, frustrations. Most of them really had to do with the loan officers' lack, uh, lack of scalability, where loan officers try to grow their volume and all they know how to do is to work more hours, work harder. So I like to think of it as a car with just a first gear. And so you've got pedal the metal, but you're only going 30 miles an hour. But if you can Im- help them implement a second, third, and fourth gear, they can put just as much, you know, they can barely touch the pedal, and all of a sudden they've got a lot more torque. And I feel like when I started looking at the needs of realtors that were very, very similar to loan officers and our, you know, the ability to take what we've done at Oak and translate that over to real estate agents, it was pretty seamless. And so what I've done is taken our system and I've retweaked it and kind of retrofitted it for real estate agents that really helps them be able to scale their business, to get to the next size. You know, so a lot of times I see, you know, loan officers, it would be they, you know, we're at 15 million and they're dreaming about how to get to 30 and they're just not clear about how to get there. Or, you know, you've got realtors who are doing 10 million a year, but they, you know, they dream about getting to 50 one day, but they have really no plan or process or system you know, on how to get there. And um, it's very, very intriguing to agents uh, in general, if you can help them come implement a system. So it's been a really fun project so far. Hmm, that's awesome. That's genius, actually. And you re- you do a lot of it is very can change, you know, you from what you do with LOs and, and successful realtors, it's a lot of the same activities and processes. Exactly. So that's good. Okay, so can you tell me something that I know that failure happens for a business guy? Uh, looking back, there's always a lesson in it for you. Can you share something that you failed at and then the lesson that you learned? There's so many things to choose from that I'm trying to think of the best one. But um, I think that one of the big failures I had during, especially when Oaks uh, started scaling so quickly, was I found that one of my responses, I think, was starting to get to know myself and how I deal with stress and how that affects people around me. So one thing I found about myself is that when I get really stressed, uh, my communication skills go down dramatically. Mm-hmm. I get very focused on just getting things done and I'm not as open and as transparent. And I find a lot of times during times of a lot of change, that's when you need to be communicating most. Mm-hmm. And so I would say if, you know, one of the big failures I had was when, you know, your people have to really believe in you and what you're doing to continue to follow you. And in order for people to believe in you, they have to hear from you and they have to know your why, what you're doing. And you know what? I, I think a big failure for me was I really stopped communicating with people because I was so focused on just trying to run the business and build it. And communication just seemed to be something that fell to the wayside. And I think that, you know, in hindsight, I think that a lot of the relationships were diluted. The quality of them were diluted over time due to uh, lack of communication that right. in my mind, it was very clear, but in a lot of people's mind, they're like, Hey, look, we, you know, what's going on. We don't hear from you as much. We're not getting the vision as much. 
that was a big failure, I believe. And if, if I could go back, I would have attacked that problem differently. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was also a, a good insight that I know when I get really stressed, my stress response is to not communicate. And so I need to build in systems that force me to communicate. Right. And in the absence of, of information, it, it, they'll make up their own story. And so that's not always a good thing if you're the leader. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit about your morning routine? So do you have a routine that you use to sort of get your day going? Uh, I do. I try to really build my morning around the, you know, big rocks or what are the things that, you know, seem to not get done that are really important things. So for me, working out is really big because as, fat, as hard as I push myself and as fast as I go, I find that if I'm not getting out and being active, my energy levels just aren't there. I also got to kind of work out that stress. So getting a workout in the mornings is huge for me. Secondly is a team meeting, making sure that whether there's 15 minutes or 20 minutes, getting everybody synced on priorities and looking at yesterday, you know, basically making sure that everyone is operating on the same page. And then thirdly is major prospecting activities. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I find is that if you're going to continue to grow prospecting, you know, once you start business starts coming in, I find that prospecting goes out, can a lot of times fall to the wayside. So for me, those three things right there of working out a daily team meeting and that major prospecting and trying to get that done first before I start working on anything else. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. So one of the things I've noticed talking to successful LLs, you know, you built a big operation, but there seems to be three parts to the business, leads, teams, and systems. And so mm -hmm. I just want to ask about those individually. So on the lead side, so where does the majority, so you're not actively originating right now? No, I am. I am. Oh, you are <laughs> on top of all this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I stopped originating um, at Oak and then I, uh, so for about four years, I did not originate. And then I basically with Summit, now that I've started Summit, I started originating again, mainly because um, I was coaching a lot of our LOs at Oak. And I found that uh, whether it was right or wrong, they questioned credibility at times because I wasn't in the trenches. Right. They're like, you don't know what it's like anymore. That's probably what. Exactly. You used to be a big producer, but that was before Trid. That was before Dodd-Frank. There was always a reason. And I wanted in order to have that credibility, I felt like I needed to be in the trenches. So when I went to Summit, I went and got licensed and uh, started getting out there and producing. And so it, it's been really fun. I really love originating. But the majority of my business comes from real estate agents. What percent would you say is from real estate agents? 50%. 50 And then where's the other 50% coming from? I would say probably 25% of it is my personal network. That would be friends, family, and just kind of that personal network. And then the other part would be a combination of past clients and business people, you know, financial planners, attorneys, CPAs, things like that. Okay. And then on the team side, so who, how does your team structure? So who's on your team and what, do, what, is it, what do they do? I just got my license through in the early March. So I'm scaling and building my production. But right now I have, a, I have someone who take, basically owns lead to contract. So when he comes in, taking that lead, they will you know, take down the application. They gather all the documents. They schedule an appointment for me to meet with. And their whole goal is to make sure that lead is pre-qualified documentation place so when they meet with me i'm exactly what i'm dealing with I focus more on really you know the rapport and then selling building the relationship and the plan yeah and then they would own that lead until they go under contract i have a contract to close person so as soon as the contract comes in there's a handoff 
from my upfront person to the contract back end. So they'll hand it off there to check that kind of upfront per fill out that make sure they have, you know, there's clarity of handoff there. It goes over to the back end person. They're going to own contract to close. So whole goal is basically deliver a, an exceptional experience. So I want them to be super responsive. When someone reaches out, you're right on top of it. If we can streamline need, don't ask for everything. If you can look at the AUS findings and see if you need it, there's a way to make it easier on them, make it easier on them. Communication is huge. But certainly the goal is to deliver exceptional customer service and to make me look great to that agent. Right. Okay, that's good. And then in terms of systems, how do you keep track of all your files? What kind of software and stuff do you use in order to make sure that no nothing falls through the cracks? We use a um, Google's phone system that allows us to direct you know, based on, you know, so that we're all in communication. So we have a team number where everything comes in and, and on who's available, we can route that team number to different people who would tend that incoming lead. They're going to put, put the incoming lead into our CRM. And then we utilize uh, Slowify for our doc management uh, system. So, you know, that front person is going to take a coming lead and send out the flow of the link to where the bar can start uploading their documentation to that portal. Nice about that is that it just is ease the collection of do the documents can process, which I find mm -hmm. can be cumbersome, and it keeps them very, you know, one, it's very clear on what we need, and it would automatically up them on a regular basis. That lag from pre-qual to pre-approval is a pain point. Mm -hmm. This issue, I find that a lot of loan officers you know, do pre-qual, and they don't really push for the pre-approval, and I find that that really can come back to bite them down the road that they didn't fully do that pre-approval up front. So management process has been huge for us. So I would say, you know, FlowFi plays plays a big piece in that. Okay, that's good. What's the best business advice you've ever received? That's a, a great question. I would say don't ever prejudge, like try your best not to prejudge people. And that's come in handy of where I find that in order to be decisive, you have to be judgmental. You have to prejudge things. You have to, but I found a lot of times by judging People by exterior can really come back to you. And I've seen many times where some people that not, they didn't carry themselves like they had a lot to offer. They, they didn't meet these certain chest in my mind. And I found as I've been very surprised at time with who, you know, a lot of times what's under the hood. Right. And it is, and the more, the, you know, the older I've gotten, I really try to challenge myself on this, that a lot of times the people who look so amazing outside aren't all they're cracked up to be. And a lot of times people, when you open up the hood and that is, and this, you know, this has happened to me again a couple of weeks ago and I prejudged someone. And you know what? I it came back. I, once I finally realized who this person was and what they'd done, I just really was disappointed with myself. So I would say that for others, but also for yourself. Don't prejudge yourself quickly of what your capabilities are, of what you can accomplish, what you can and can't do. And I think people do that uh, too quickly. Yeah, you can do it both ways. That's right. It's not just prejudging others. It's prejudging your own, oh, I can't do that. I could never be top LO. I could never, right? You tell, And then you're prejudging essentially, and that's not, a, that's not healthy. So can you share one thing about yourself you can't find on Google? You know what? I actually see I, I play the violin. That's on there. I, I really I enjoy music, love, love music, and um, probably wouldn't find that on there, but that's a big, big piece of my, uh, who I am. That's cool. So I'm going to move to some rapid fire questions. You can answer these with shorter answers if you like. So what's the number one thing holding back most LOs from being successful? They're intractable, uh, not coachable, not teachable. And what's the one thing or habit you think's made you successful? 
don't listen too much to the opinions of others. Question things. And what's one software app you can't live without? You mentioned Flowify was really helpful for you. So, and Google Voice, I guess. What's another thing that you use that's really useful for your business? Waze. It's a driving app. It's like, you know, Google Maps, except it's more social. So I find now that I'm originating, I'm driving all over town everywhere. And this, it syncs with my calendar and it, I just find I'm on it all the time and it's helping direct and get me all over town on time. Right. So it's almost like an Uber for yourself. Exactly. Yes. Tells you where to go. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? Uh, the Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Yeah. I, lo- I like that guy's writings. Oh, so good. Have you read the one, The Ego is the Enemy? I've not. I really want to though. That's good. And this last question, remember the movie Back to the Future? Did you ever see that? I did. And so remember the car, put, if I could put you in that car and send you back to when you're first starting out in the mortgage business and you could sit down and you could say, Holden, there's three things you need to do, brother. What three things would you tell yourself? I would say one is be passionately curious. Two is, like I said earlier, don't prejudge people, including yourself. And then three is never get too big for the fundamentals. Okay, good. And so we'll the last one there, what do you mean by that part? What I find is that I, I think a lot of times, you know, as I was growing in my own experience was I felt like I got too fancy to start doing some of the basics that had gotten me to where I was. And I let a lot of really good habits slip. And I found that, you know what, some of those key fundamentals that seem very basic, you know, you never want to get away from them. And, you know, I, I think of it in the same way, like basketball players, you know, whether you're in the, you're in the NBA or whether you're, you know, a third on a third grade team, they all start the same way, which is they start up with layup drills. Mm-hmm. And you want to get into good, solid fundamentals and never get away from those fundamentals. And, and I learned that. And uh, I've, I've really gone through the process over the last year of reestablishing some key fundamentals from that I had 10 years ago that I'd let go of uh, to my own detriment. And just uh, are you a part of the core or you've been involved in the core? I am. I am. So um, I, I was coached. Uh, the core had uh, a small group of owner coaches to where they would coach owners of mortgage companies. And I was, uh, I was coached in that group by Todd Screema and then um, also uh, Rick Ruby. Okay. And what's one thing you, I told you last question, but I lied. So uh, what's one thing you learned from the coaching that's you've applied, that's been really useful for your business? The leader is responsible for clarity. If there is any confusion in the organization, it is the leader's job to sniff out that, and to clarify that. And one of the biggest cancers in organizations is that people are unclear about what they should be doing or what's expected of them or, you know, who does what. And it is the leader's responsibility to always find confusion and to bring clarity into that confusion. Dude, that's awesome. And I, I need to hear that actually in my own businesses. I think that's uh, take a, that last question was actually just for me. So thank you for the coaching. So where can people find you online? You know what? They can go to holden-thomas.com. I'm on a lot of the social media sites uh, as well. If anybody listening can check out the show notes. And I really appreciate holding your time today, man. I hope you continue to crush your business. I hope you build another bigger, badder business this time than the last time. Me too. Me too, man. I appreciate that. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you do, you'll get three deals in the next week. Okay, that's not entirely true, but we'd really appreciate it. Also, you can check out everything at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. See you next week.